jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. The Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jaswal on jasoncharles.net This is Anuja Jaswal, your host of the Manhattan Millennial Book Review here on jasoncharles.net. On this episode, I will be reviewing The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins. If I sound a little different this podcast, it's because I'm recording over the phone, something that is necessitated by the current situation of COVID-19 in the United States. And if you are listening to this from wherever you are, I hope that you are staying safe and taking care of yourselves. That being said, let's dive in to The Moonstone. The Moonstone was published in 1868, and T.S. Eliot called it the first and greatest of English detective novels. Wilkie Collins was a 19th century novelist who was close friends with the slightly better known Charles Dickens, and the two collaborated frequently throughout their careers. Now, I first came across The Moonstone in a long reading list for Imperial Gothic, the first term of my undergraduate studies, and I was immediately drawn to it, and I made the in retrospect, unwise, decision to try and read the novel so I could write about it in my next essay. It was 475 pages long, and it took me three days. I spent those three days completely absorbed by Collins's words. There was something arresting about his style, his characters, his layered narration, and his use of a structure that was equal parts captivating and confounding. And all of this made this work stand apart from every other piece of detective fiction I'd read. Now, the basic plot of the novel is that Rachel Berenger inherits a diamond on her 18th birthday from her uncle, a corrupt British army officer who served in India. She holds a birthday party where she shows off the diamond to her guests. And later that night, it's stolen from her bedroom. The rest of the book portrays the character's attempts to find the culprit. Now, one of the most distinctive things about the Moonstone is its structure. Collins uses 11 narrators, which gives you the semblance of reliability because from the outset, readers are told that each narrator may only write the story of the Moonstone, quote, as far as personal experience extends and no farther, end quote. And we're reminded of this throughout the novel. Now, these many narratives often overlap and intersect, creating a disorienting sense of confusion. The fragmented narration forces readers to become involved in the mystery of the novel. For example, Collins uses footnotes to redirect readers to related events in other narratives. Wherever the report touches on the events of the birthday or the three days that followed it, compare with Betteridge's narrative, chapters 8 to 13. And this forces readers to reconstruct the story from the plethora of disjointed information provided to us. A quote from the critic Albert Hutcher seems relevant here. He says, the ultimate conflict of the Moonstone is not within the novel, but within the reader, who must distrust the story's various narratives in order to create his own more authentic story. Now, Collins does lead us to distrust the story's narratives, not necessarily because he presents his narrators as unreliable, but because of how he approaches the idea of knowledge itself. Placing 11 narratives that seemingly retell the same events alongside each other highlights the contingency of truth, as the apparently simple story of the diamond's theft proves to be very complicated. Collins' choice to use multiple narrative voices brings his characters to life in a unique way. 
as readers get to see them crafting the story instead of merely participating in it. Here are some moments that stood out to me. At the very beginning of the novel, the butler, Gabriel Betteraj, digresses to talk about Robinson Crusoe. He says, still, this don't look much like the starting story of the diamond, does it? I seem to be wandering off in search of Lord knows what, Lord knows where. We will take a new sheet of paper, if you please, and begin over again, with my best respects to you, end quote. Now, placing a character that speaks this way right at the beginning exposes the artifice and revision at the heart of the writing process. And actually, making something look constructed is a very astute turn of writing, and I thought it was a very striking way for Collins to begin his book. Another narrator that struck me as unusual was Miss Clack, who speaks in this tone. I could write pages of affectionate warning on this one theme, but alas, I am not permitted to improve. I am condemned to narrate. My wealthy relative's check, henceforth the incubus of my existence, warns me that I have not done with this record of violence yet. We must leave Mr. Godfrey to recover in Northumberland Street and must follow the proceedings of Mr. Luker at a leisure period of the day." End quote. You can really hear how nervous Miss Clack is here, and she's very aware of the constraints of her narration, which to the reader illuminates the sort of external circumstances to her putting together the story. She talks about how she's condemned to narrate and she isn't permitted to embellish any of the narrative. Franklin Blake, the main love interest in the novel, also has a very particular way of speaking. I have only the most indistinct recollection of what happened at Hotherstone's farm. I remember a hearty welcome, a prodigious supper, which would have fed a whole village in the East, a delightfully clean bedroom with nothing in it to regret but that detestable product of the folly of our forefathers, a feather bed, a restless night with much kindling of matches and many lightings of one little candle, and an immense sensation of relief when the sun rose and there was a prospect of getting up. All of Collins's characters and narrators prove to be idiosyncratic. They're each given their own narrative, which enables them to really speak for themselves in a way that other characters in novels at the time don't really have the opportunity to. Collins's use of multiple narrators sets his work apart from most of his peers. For example, Dickens novels either have a first-person narrator present throughout, as in Great Expectations, or they employ an all-knowing first-person narrator that sometimes gives way to the interior thoughts of a character, as in Bleak House. Now, sitting here in 2020, it's easy to undermine how unique Collins's technique was. Since 1868, countless movies, films, and books have replicated the technique of using multiple narrators or using narrators that are notoriously unreliable or give you conflicting accounts of one event. But for his time, Collins was really pioneering a new way of telling stories. He was making some very important comments about truth and the relationship that a reader has to the events being told to them that have since been replicated by authors like Agatha Christie and in cult movies like Rashomon. In my previous podcasts about Borderlands and The Bluest Eye, I concluded by saying that you should read those books because besides being amazing works, they have important insights about current issues. At first glance, The Moonstone does not fit into this category. It isn't significantly concerned with things like race or identity or colonialism, although there are some strange references to Indian Brahmins who try to retrieve the diamond. But reading The Moonstone is still an illuminating experience as you grapple with a plot structure that seems deliberately evasive. I remember when I first read it, I had never read a book that seemed 
so impossible <laughs> before. It, it felt like I was just drowning in all of these characters' words, trying to figure out what actually happened that night. And I felt like I was a part of the narrative and a part of the story in a way that I'd never really been before. And especially for, for a Victorian novel written at this time, when you have people like Dickens writing stories with narrators that essentially tell you what to think and feel, that was a really new experience for me. On the next episode, I will be reviewing The Hemmingses of Monticello by Annette Gordon-Reed. Until next time, this is Anuja Jesswal. Feel free to send me your comments, questions, or suggestions. Happy reading. You've been listening to the Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jesswal on jasoncharles.net. For more information about Anuja Jaswal, check out her Instagram at anujajaswal1997, spelled A-N-U-J-A-J-A-I-S-W-A-L-1997. JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.